And welcome back to Harry Potter in the Reread Podcast. I'm your host, David Jansen, and joined with me, as always, by Kyle Jans. Kyle, how are you? I'm great. It's episode 30, 30. We have done this 10 times, three times. That's how math works. That is correct. <laughs> 30 plus hours. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Considering the fact that we had to do that one episode like five times. We did have to do an episode like at least three times. Yeah. Between editing and quality and then also not hitting record once. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we're, we're making our way and starting to get good. Like this book is excellent. It is. And even though we're going to go through um, a couple chapters here, even though like there wasn't a lot of like action in these chapters, like they're still good. Like, even the setup now, I feel like she, the, the setup is better than it was previously. And, and it's just more interesting. It's nice to not have a book about Voldemort, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Worried about him at every turn. So that's pretty good. And uh, we're making our way through. We're essentially halfway through the book at this point, after, this, after these two chapters. Uh, uh, almost like, almost exactly, if you look at the actual book. And then we're a little bit more, but the... Um, little over page page wise but we have we, essentially this is halfway through the season of episodes we have um one two four five more to go and we've done two four we've done five to this point so this is like our midway through the book five more episodes or five more chapters five more episodes okay we have ten more chapters to go after this right on well today we are covering chapters 11 and 12 we uh we get introduced to the firebolt in chapter 11 and we learn a little bit more about the patronus in uh in chapter 12 you could almost just stop and say like the patron and it could be a chapter about tequila as well which is that is an enjoyable chapter and it's one that i never would have i would never would have made that connection as a kid having read the book obviously either so that's that's the first time my mind has connected those those two things together it is obviously not a chapter about tequila though there is some butterbeer involved but uh, we'll get to that later but you can start us off with uh chapter 11 the firebolt yeah so the chapter starts off harry's in uh, a bit of a tailspin you might say after learning that Sirius black was in fact his dad's best friend um, you could even say a lot more than a little bit of a tailspin. But everyone is left for the holidays, and Ron and Hermione are are so worried about it. They're trying to tell him, you know, not to go after Black. But Harry confesses that when the dementia comes close, what he is actually hearing is the interaction of his mom and Voldemort right before he murdered her. So he's having a bad time. He is being, you know, sort of mad about everything, mad to everyone. And he's being a little bit of a prick about it. But uh, Ron, and Hermione, Ron and Hermione, sorry, convince him that, you know, maybe we should go see Hagrid, see what he's up to. Thinking, you know, good intentions. Harry immediately thinks, Hagrid knew and he didn't tell me, so he's a villain. But let's go do it. Let's go confront him. But by the time they get here, they see that Hagrid is just actually sobbing. And it turns out that the Ministry has decided that Buckbeak is going to have to go through a hearing due to the whole Malfoy incident. And Hagrid is, uh, he's pretty upset about it because he thinks Lucius Malfoy has that whole court in his pocket. So the gang consoles a pretty inconsolable Hagrid and offers to help him in the case. And he tells them about how awful Azkaban is. And we learn that Dementors don't care if you're innocent or guilty, which I don't think we knew before. Um, 
explicitly. So that's a key piece of information to hold on to. Um, the next day is Christmas, and Harry has received a brand new Firebolt as a present from an unknown sender. Ron and Harry try and think about who could have sent it, maybe Dumbledore, maybe Lupin, but they pretty much poke holes in any options they come up with. Um, Hermione comes in with Crookshanks, and she's not as enthused about the gift. And then there's another Crookshanks Scabbers uh, incident, and the sneaker scope from the beginning of the book gets dislodged from the pair of socks it's been in and starts going crazy again. The Christmas feast happens, and it turns out that there are only 12 people left in the school between students and teachers. Professor Trelawney shows up and does Professor Trelawney stuff, and they talk a bit about Lupin being sick again. Uh, after dinner, Hermione stays to talk to McGonagall, and then McGonagall comes in and confiscates the firebolt, since Hermione thinks that it was actually sent by Sirius Black, and they want to st uh, check it out for jinxes and whatnot. And Ron is a dick about it. And that's the chapter. Everyone's kind of a dick at some point in this chapter. I have gripes about all three of them uh, one way or another, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can start off with Harry and his him being a bit of a dick and what I've titled Harry's Murderous Rage. I, I like it. Become completely unhinged and not unwarranted because it's tough to really put yourself in his perspective because it's not even just that he learned that one of his parents' friends was theoretically responsible for their murder but harry doesn't have family obviously because his parents were murdered um and so to him friendship is like it's even it means more than it might to someone who also has a family to to yeah. bounce back so for him like he sees ron and hermione as his family and he's picturing one of them betraying him when he looks at Sirius black betraying his father so it's like on a whole other level Ooh. person who has both a great group of friends and also a family it's when you only have one and your friend group has replaced your family it, they mean more they mean more that's deep it makes sense though like that would be that would be him kind of portraying or putting out into the world that essentially that that is his family hogwarts is his home he doesn't consider the dursleys to be mm -hmm. any of that and that's what causes a lot of his frustration or his angst this is actually kind of like the first time that we see that angsty side of harry kind of displayed because like you know hashtag nobody understands me nobody gets me and in a way they they don't like they don't understand what harry's actually going through because they can't imagine what it's like to hear their parents dying whenever he's put in this situation with these dementors he's he's not they simply don't get it and it's, it's a first step of kind of many that we see as we go as he becomes a little bit more angsty over the the next couple of books as well yeah i mean it's just a it's a hard thing I, I think they do a decent job of trying they don't they're not pressuring him they're not telling him that he's you know in the wrong they're, they're trying to do a good job of, of trying to bring him back from the edge a little but i think there's a great chance that you know had he run into Sirius Black somehow, he would have done, well, he wouldn't have done anything because he's an untrained wizard and Sirius Black is an actual wizard. But he might have tried to do something that he would have later regretted. Yeah. When it comes to, like, Hermione and Ron offering suggestions and solutions, Harry in the past has usually been pretty good about accepting them and seeing the value of their opinion. But 
this is the first time that I can recall where he really branches off as well from listening to them or taking their advice. He he's not interested, right? Like he is actively not interested. So they could have made the most sense of any sense that anyone's ever made in the history of time. He just doesn't want to hear it. And sometimes you have to be in a place to hear advice, even if it's good advice. Yeah, no, that's true. I don't fault him for where he's at. And it's nice to see him sort of snap out a bit a bit when he realizes that Hagrid needs his help. But they got lucky that, you know, events that were happening later on weren't happening today. Mm-hmm. Let's get into the firebolt. That's the, the, the basis of this chapter. Um, ultimately, I think there's two camps here that you can either either take. Do you agree with Harry and Ron and thinking that it's going to be a fine present and that there's nothing wrong with this broom? Or do you agree with Hermione and kind of realizing, hey, something's up here and this is awfully suspicious and we need to be careful? Yeah, I mean, look, I think I'd, go, I think I'd like to split the difference here. Hermione is right, and we learn that mm-hmm. she's right. But even if she is wrong, she's still right. Mm-hmm. This is a very suspicious scenario. You happen to need a broom. You get the best broom in the world sent to you. You have no idea where it's from. You know that a wanted criminal is trying to kill you. The approach she takes is bad. Bad, yeah. Right? So she should have spoken to Harry first before she went to McGonagall. And then if he didn't want to hear it, that's on him. And then you can go to McGonagall anyways. To be fact, all she had to do was have the conversation about why she did it. So she has the conversation after McGonagall takes the broom. She just needs to move that order to before she talks to McGonagall. What are they, they going to do? Talk you out of it? No, you're very stubborn. So that's, it's just the order. Because mm-hmm. then she almost absolves her. She would almost absolve herself of, it doesn't matter that they're mad now. You did the right thing. You told them that you were going to do the right thing. You gave them the opportunity to do it themselves. Like, what if Harry immediately, like, so she waited till after dinner. I can't believe that he did not immediately get on the broom. Like, and I know go fly. Learned at the past that the Christmas speech is, it's more of like a lunchtime thing. Um, but between the time they opened the present and if he didn't go ride it, hard to believe. And if it had been cursed, like, she should have told them right away what she was. Mm-hmm. Because if it had been cursed, like, how dumb would she have felt? Right, like it was clearly it was clearly on her mind that like yeah it was serious black but she doesn't utter those words until the very end of the chapter and it's kind of funny because even though when she does say hey that broom was probably given to you by serious black harry i mean she's correct kind of she's technically correct but not in the way that she thinks but like you said earlier though if she would have just flipped that around if she would have just allowed herself to explain the situation i would have had no problem with that i mean look the, the the boy's reaction is is not necessarily warranted but it's also not particularly unexpected mm-hmm. and even if she had flipped it around she might have ran into the same resistance and then it might have been harder to get the broom for them potentially but i just think for the that conversation first yeah you could have but and for those guys i mean they're obviously they have the blinders on because they literally have a state-of-the-art like professional standard broom in front of them and like that's an that's an awesome gift and if you're a kid and you're given something that is like the best in the world but you can't use it yet because you think that it you you can't use it for a few days or a few weeks or whatever that would be terrible and of course any kid who's in that situation or most kids who are in that situation are never going to want to agree to that they're just going to think it's fine but ultimately what it comes down to is if it's too good to be true then it probably is i mean unless it's this situation where it does seem too good to be true but it 
was very much real and well-intended. Yeah, it's just hard to to think that there wasn't a necessarily a better approach. But it, it, none of that excuses their reaction. Like, their reaction is just absurd. Like, you can be upset, but not to the level they take. And we'll talk about that a bit more in the next chapter. A mm -hmm. um, couple of things I didn't remember from this chapter was Harry almost, like, completely going insane out of rage at the beginning, for sure. And I'd forgotten how small Christmas was. And that was kind of interesting because um, I think it was like five kids and seven students, I think. Uh, it had to be 13. Right. Oh, right. No. Well, okay, 12 and then 13. Yeah. And then 13, the Trelawney came in. She was the 13th. Yeah. But there were like, I'm surprised with that few kids staying that that many teachers were still there. Like <laughs> the ratio is off. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I forgot, but that was sort of interesting. That was fun to read. Because um, I, yeah, that whole scene of the 12 students and the 13 and the first one to stand up will die prediction for Trelawney. She's really annoying to read. Like that portion was so annoying. It's just like, ugh. but I didn't remember it. So I won't have to think about it again. In a... Yeah, that, that was the biggest thing for me. I totally forgot that there was just a handful of students left that year. It just seemed like that there's usually more. It does, but maybe maybe not. Maybe maybe not. Hard to say. Really got a sense. I mean, one time all the Weasleys stayed, so there's a handful right there. Um, but <laughs> probably the same amount of students that stayed this year. If you would have just counted them all. <laughs> yeah, it makes the fact that Ron and Hermione decided to stay um, less weird because when we talked about it last time, I'd sort of thought that there'll be other people for Harry to talk, but no, there really wouldn't have been. He there wasn't. Yeah. So. It does make a bit more sense that they decide to stay. I, I kind of reflected on that too, being like, was it weird that they stayed or like, and I kind of thought like, you can have Christmas every year with your family. That was your argument that like, if you have Christmas, you're going to go oh, back right. to your family because you haven't seen them at, because you haven't seen them at boarding school and you haven't seen them for a while. My argument was that they haven't seen their family in four months. Yeah. In four months. That was it. But then I, I kind of thought about it and was thinking like, yeah, but how often do you get to have a Hogwarts Christmas. I feel like that would be something you would probably want to experience once as a student. Yeah, no, maybe, maybe. I don't know. Doesn't necessarily seem that special based on how it's described here. <laughs> Only 12 other people. Like, it's weird. Professor <laughs> predicting your death. That's yeah, super special. Being in a giant castle with nobody in it seems kind of odd. In terms of things that don't make sense, the sneakoscope is going crazy. Mm -hmm. And neither of them are concerned that it never stops going off. But they also keep it. So they accept that it's working. Like, it just, it just... I think they just... I think they just accepted it as that it was bogus and wasn't working. And so he just shoved it away and didn't think about it ever again. Why not just get rid of it? Yeah, it's a waste. I guess it was a present, yeah. It was a present, yeah. I think that that would probably go into it. it I... Out yeah. It didn't make sense. Uh, like Hagrid's talking about this hippogriff trial uh, for for uh, Buckbeak that's coming up, but the trial and essentially happens in in London. And so, how do you get a hippogriff to London unnoticed for for a hearing? I don't and think a hippogriff is going to the hearing. I think no. I think that they said somewhere in there that Buckbeak's got to be there. I could be incorrect, but uh, the idea that that based on what happens the hippogriff does not need to be at the trial well no he gets beheaded right then and there 
they they come to Hogwarts for that. The trial still happens. Like Hagrid does leave for the trial. Okay, that makes sense then. So yes, because it would be weird. And this wasn't the wizards use London as like their main hub. Yeah, like, is weird. I don't know why they don't use like some like non big town, right? You'd you'd think Hogsmeade being like the only well, it's just hundred percent wizarding village. Yeah, but you could build on that, turn it into a big dynasty or something. Right. Or why there just isn't some massive wizarding community of only wizarding things. Agreed. With like where the ministry is not in London. It's odd. I only had one other thing. It it didn't really it's not that it didn't make sense. I just kind of thought it was rude. Like Harry, Ron, and Hermione are spending Christmas all together. For her to open the present. They didn't wait for her to open presents. The first thought I had as well. I was like, wait, and then Hermione walked in? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I thought that was incredibly rude of them to be ripping open their presents and stuff. And then Hermione comes in afterwards. Like, thanks, guys. Thanks for waiting. So, yeah, yeah, I thought that was a little bit bogus. I, I, I definitely agree. Um, and I clocked a couple, another thing that Harry had another thought that Scabbers is an unusual rat. Um, and they just sort of, brief, he just sort of thinks about it briefly and then they move on. But I, it's been addressed a few times. A though. times. It comes yeah. up a couple times. Um, and I just sort of wanted to talk about on that whole Hagrid appeal situation. It's nice that the, that the gang offered to help him, but like Dumbledore should be dealing with this. It is literally his job. He is the headmaster of the school. This was a school. This wasn't Hagrid was out on his own one day and his pet hippogriff attacked a student. This was part of a class like (laughs) screams school administrator, not Hagrid to deal with it. Um, So, yeah. I know Hagrid didn't want to go to Dumbledore, so maybe he didn't know about like, but it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. He dealt with it. Um, Right then and there. No, I agree. Uh, only other thing, like, uh, just in regards to other thoughts, like, I, I liked how the, the photo album of Harry's parents got back into the story and how Hagrid gave it to him at the end of the first book that kind of made its way back in. And then the only other thought I had is, um, Harry at one point is like, quote, unquote, replaying the film of Sirius Black killing everyone, uh, all those muggles. And he imagines Peter Pettigrew or Neville as Peter Pettigrew. And it's like, is that what Neville is to them? Is he just the fat, losery kind of tag-along kid that everyone tolerates? I just, I thought it was interesting that Harry made that comparison to to Neville because it's it's not a good compliment or a good thought to have. Well, I think you're reading that wrong. I think you're reading. Am I? Because I think the way he was looking at it is like they are, and they don't do a great job, but they are legitimately friends with Neville. Mm-hmm. but but neville is not their best friend and so i think that's the thing is like imagine in harry's mind imagine ron killed our good friend neville i i think you're mm. the way you gotta remember peter Pettigrew is, is a good guy at this point yeah Peter Pettigrew is his parents friend who they know nothing poor about him they just know that you know when the way fudge described the story or Rose Murder, whoever was talking to Time, like it was James and Sirius, and Pettigrew followed them around, and that mm-hmm. is what it is. Ron and Harry, and Neville follows them around. Yeah, it is a similar, but it's not negative. It's only negative if you think about Pettigrew 
being what we know he is. What we know. Yeah. Who we think he is. Because right now we think he's a great friend who got murdered at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't I didn't think that was necessarily a slight on Neville. That's fair. That makes sense knowing what we know now. Um any quotes that jumped out at you for this one? Um, so Haggard was upset about a lot of things uh, when they went to go visit him, including no one liking his classes. So the quote is, we do like them, lied Hermione at once. Yeah, they're great, said Ron, crossing his fingers under the table. Or how, how are the flubber worms? Dead, Haggard said gloomily. Too much lettuce. As yeah. the kids were uh, were feeding them lettuce and that's basically all that they did in class so it just i kind of had a good laugh about that yeah let me oh go ahead one where after trelawney arrives and she makes her the 13th and whoever dies first or rises first will die and mcgonagall just goes we'll risk it sybil i just like the dismissiveness of professor uh professor mcgonagall I had a I had one from her as well, and that was after, again after predicting that someone will die and Harry and Ron get up at the same time. And yeah, she says it don't make much difference. And then just to following on that, unless a mad axe man is waiting outside the doors to slaughter the first into the entrance hall. So <laughs> points to uh, McGonagall there for sure. Yeah. All right. I got some interesting MVP LVP choices to make here. Um, who did you consider for LVP here? Ron for being kind of a continued dick about the Crookshanks uh, scabber situation. So that, yeah, good. However, I also considered Hermione because I, even though she was going in with good intentions, she didn't handle it well. And then she also did kind of bring Crookshanks into the boys' dormitory without warning so i feel like she should have given ron a heads up about that as well uh harry for his wild tantrums and kind of letting the emotions get the best of him so it's kind of funny that the three main characters are the ones that i had kind of thought about this time around um did go with hermione because ultimately the tension in their relationship was caused because she went behind their backs to go get the broom confiscated essentially or looked at and it's something that was so avoidable if she would have just thought it through a little bit That's more. Interesting. so i actually thought hermione was the mvp here mm-hmm. uh because she made a difficult choice and she made a choice that she knew her friends weren't would not like which is why she didn't talk to them about it whether or not mm-hmm. she but she knew she what they weren't gonna like but she made it anyway because she was only concerned about his safety so i thought you know, I'm going to go Hermione here. Um, she also, you know, her and Ron at the beginning were, were also working pretty hard to try and bring Harry back from this. Keep him. Yeah, yeah. But you're not wrong. And and Ron, well, he was starting to be a dick at the end. We're going to see that more next time. So I didn't want to mm-hmm. talk about that one just yet. And Harry, I heard he was, I had a hard time faulting Harry for how he was feeling. I thought it was Same. a reasonable reaction. I went with Professor Trelawney because I don't like reading about her. <laughs> and um, she just brings down the mood at Christmas, all that talk of death. And then once they get past it, she brings it up again. Like nobody, you're trying to have a Christmas uh, feast. Like nobody wants that, Professor Trelawney. So I went there with her. I understand that. Uh, so we know you're MVP. Um, 
mine and you had good reasons for that but since i named her my lvp i can't also do that as mvp i just i went for mcgonagall as kind of on the flip side of trelawney for your least valuable she was her usual sarcastic self and kind of taking action to also have the broom looked into so i think kind of between those two things and kind of mitigating the trelawney situation and then actually looking into the broom and stuff even if it would take kind of weeks to accomplish she she did the right thing low-key she is the funniest character oh absolutely so i have no argument there all right chapter 12 is all about the patronus why don't you kick us off Sure. So Harry and Ron, they're continuing to be upset with Hermione while Hermione is still believing that she did the right thing. Students are now starting to come back from the Christmas break and Oliver Wood checks in with Harry to see how he's dealing with uh, any future Dementor attacks that might uh, occur out on the pitch and also is inquiring of whether he got a new broom yet or not. Ron reveals that Harry got a firebolt but it's being stripped down to check for jinxes, which makes Oliver sick to his stomach. Uh, he says that he's going to go have a, a word with McGonagall about it. Harry uh, arranges to have his first anti-dementor lessons with Lupin, who's still looking pretty sick and disheveled. While Harry arrives for his first evening lesson, Lupin is there and he says that he found a bogart, uh, bogart that they're going to practice on throughout all the lessons. So they're working on something called the Patronus Charm, which is an advanced charm that conjures a Patronus or a guardian that acts as essentially a, a shield between the person who is casting the spell and the Dementor. It's something that's filled with, with hope and happiness and life. Therefore, Dementor is unable to hurt it, essentially. Uh, each Patronus takes the shape of something unique to the spellcaster, and it's cast by the individual by concentrating on a very happy memory in their life. Harry focuses on riding a broom for the first time, and the Bogart emerges as the Dementor. However, the voice of Harry's mother continues to take over and is getting even louder as his Voldemort, and Harry once again faints. So he tries again a second time, and he thinks about the House Cup and winning that for the first time. Uh, once again, though, this Dementor prevails. Uh, this time, though, Harry hears his dad for the first time in a lot of his hallucinations. So it's getting stronger. And James was essentially telling Lily to take Harry and run while he took on Voldemort. Harry comes back and he tells Lupin that he heard his dad for the first time. And Lupin reveals that he that they were friends back in school. And then Lupin wants to finish the lesson, but Harry would like to try again. So this time he thought about when he learned he was a wizard. He cast the spell again and he gets this silvery shadow that emerges. It's not fully formed, but it's enough to keep him on his feet and not faint and deter the Dementor for a little bit. So it's, it's progress, essentially. Lupin uh, puts away the Bogart, turns it into a silvery, silvery orb again and packs it away. It's a good start to the lessons overall, but um, Harry realizing that if Lupin knew James, then he must have known Sirius Black as well. Lupin kind of shrugs it off and says that he did, or at least he thought he did. The struggle to get Harry's firebolt also continues during this chapter. Harry's bombarded with uh, five Quidditch practices a week in addition to his Dementor classes. And he's still not really making any new progress in those anti-Dementor lessons either. He's just kind of continuing to get that silver shadow from his Patronus. 
Harry asks Lupin what's under the hood of a Dementor, and he says that there must, Lupin replies that there must be a mouth, and tells him about the Dementor's kiss, where it sucks the soul out of a person, and that's worse than death. Later, McGonagall arrives, and she gives Harry his broom back and approves it for flying. So they, the guys decide at this point that it's okay to make up with Hermione now. And as Harry starts the process, Ron takes Harry's broom back up to the dormitory, only to come back horrified. Scabbers is missing, and there's blood all over, and there's ginger cat hair on the bed. Just want to clarify, uh, there is not blood all over, is the way I read that. And I read it like three times. It really seemed like there was some blood on the sheets. And I, I tried to clarify this, so I wanted you to, to quickly check this out again. Because he made it seem, and maybe we're jumping ahead, but he made it seem like there was blood everywhere, like with his reaction. Yeah. But what, it's, what it actually says is there is blood, like there is some blood. There was, it says there was something red on it. Something right. that looked horribly like, and then Ron's reaction in all caps, blood, he's gone. And you know what was on the floor? And then that's when he talks about the, the, the ginger cat hairs that were there. So why don't we talk about that first? Because we're already talking about it. Sure, let's do it. Like, if Harry couldn't tell it was blood at first, like, how much, again, how much blood was there? And pet hair, as you know, you just were holding a cat previously, like, <laughs> 10 seconds ago. It gets everywhere. Everywhere. It's impossible to contain. We know the cat was in the dormitory this week. Like, mm -hmm. I get, I get that Ron's upset. And I know why he jumped to this conclusion. But he blew this way out of Way out. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I don't know if Ron knows anything about cats, but normally when they kill an animal like a mouse or a rat, they bring it to you because they bring it to you. They play with it. They don't necessarily just like it doesn't just disappear. Yeah, which is why? Which is why I think like the, the little amount of like he just he just missed the mark. And I get I understand being upset about it, but man, Ron, Jesus Christ, pull it together. He, he is super heightened these days and like obviously something like that he does jump to the conclusion which is very incorrect but yeah you're right even in reading that a second time around right now just with that last chapter it's not a, it's not a murder scene there's we looked at it like three times a prick of blood to figure out like how much blood is described it and it, it's not that much and you know you got to get yourself under control for sure <laughs> um we can talk about which probably because off that like they had been the worst to hermione like, it, yeah and it was kind of crappy of them to be like okay now that we finally got what we want then we'll forgive her i feel like that's not really a very mature way to go about about it they should have known because especially at the beginning they kind of acknowledge hey she was doing it for my safety essentially she was doing it with good intentions but we're gonna let her stew in it a little bit more like we talked about this when we talked about last year there's only, there's only 12 people in the whole castle sorry 13 people in the whole castle and they left her alone for days like they didn't interact with her for days there was no one else for her to talk to she had plenty of homework to do but <laughs> yeah that was not very nice friend. It's not. No, it's not. They take they take her for granted sometimes. Yeah. Um so we can we can step just kinda 
jump back to maybe the main topic of the chapter, which is, of course, the Patronus itself. This is cool. Yeah, it is. Like, it's really challenging, too. Obviously, Harry's acting well beyond his years of experience, even being able to get, like, that faint silverly silvery shadow kind of around it so he's he's working beyond but of course he's the type that always has to like succeed quickly and right away or always meet expectations so he does get kind of frustrated with it after a while after realizing that he can't really advance it but overall the they're really challenging lessons and and maybe even a little bit dangerous too i mean you're you're not only making a kid faint, but you're also opening them up to some really horrible memories that seem like they're just going to further scar Harry. I get that you can't really defend yourself against it without putting yourself in that situation, and which is why Harry is a lot more susceptible to it, given his, his past. But it seems like now, or it's kind of in, implied that the more often he's in that state with the Dementors, more the more and more is kind of being revealed about his memories there. Like he's hearing his dad for the first time and it's getting more and more tragic essentially. So you have to weigh kind of the, the risk versus reward, I guess, of whether it's worthwhile here, Perry, to be yeah. doing these. And I guess the, the, the balance is you've now introduced him to it he's not going to walk away. So you have to keep going. You have to. Yeah. But, um, and to your point, did they need the Bogart right away? We know that Harry teaches people how to do a Patronus without, without nature around. Um, yeah. So it's interesting that he went that approach, but in the essence of making, maybe in the essence of trying to, to get the lessons across quickly or, or maybe not really understanding how, impacted he was being um led to those choice mm -hmm. thing to see what harry thinks of as a happy memory i thought <laughs> so he has two... they don't seem like incredibly overly happy no it, so like the first one he tries is when gryffindor wins the house cup but like it's just like all of gryffindor winning it's not like yeah well, his first time was the broomstick his first time flying was his first attempt yeah Which i thought was that's pretty good Seems yeah. like a good one. And then he and then he to when Gryffindor won the house cup. And I was like, that seems worse. That's worse. Yeah. Yeah. And then he thinks about um I'm blanking. What learning that he's a wizard. Right. And that one the Jersey's, yes. Does make sense because yeah. he's lived this horrible life and then finally gets the relief of knowing that he can get away from it and get away from them. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that was better. It's a very validating moment for him, for yeah. sure. And it's definitely an interesting um, memory. And, and it's interesting that that one, that one starts to work. Um, okay, keep that in our minds for later on. About mm -hmm. Yeah, um, you know, the, the concept of the Patronus is neat. It was actually referred to a lot in this book. I mean, we see Lupin's Patronus at the beginning of the book in the, in the Hogwarts Express. There's a reference of Dumbledore shooting silver stuff out of his wand during that Quidditch match when the Dementors interfere. So we finally kind of learn what they are and why they're so unique to people, which I guess would lead to the next question. But what would your Patronus be? Yeah, so I did a bit of research into Patronus. Um, it turns out it has two forms. So the one is the only one we've seen up to this point. 
which is the like misty form of just like push it back. And then mm -hmm. the other one is the uh, animal form of a more protection. And when we see them do cool things with the Patronuses in the later books. Um, and so when I was looking it up, because I wanted to see what types of Patronuses people had, because it's an interesting question. I know when I did the Pottermore, what's your Patronus quiz, I got like, uh, a Mastiff. Yeah, like a deer hound or something. Yeah, but I don't know that I would get a Mastiff in in real life. Um, I you know, consider Mastiff. So the two things that jump out to me are, and I don't know why this one jumps out to me, but Snowy Owl. And I think I might get, as a Patronus, I think I might get my dog Poppy. Yeah. I think more and more, that's the one that I land on. Um, I mean, as a dog, like her thing to do is she loves to protect people. Mm -hmm. she fits she fits that mold and then i was looking at the patronuses people have and a lot of like like dumbledore patronus is his pet phoenix which makes sense right so i i think it is the um i think it is the dog poppy for me i just also want to call out that there's often scenarios of people who are in love or someone who loving like replicating patronuses so i think that would that might work as well um, with like, I, I could see it being Lindsay's as well. And then we, that would, that would line up nicely. Mm -hmm. I, and that kind of makes sense. Like I went in regards to my, my pet as well and kind of thought Roscoe, a cat. Did anyone have a cat Patronus? I feel like McGonagall would. McGonagall's Patronus is a cat and so is Umbridge's. Okay. That's interesting because they're two polar opposite characters, but. Uh... But it's more about your individuals like so i can run off a few here so obviously harry and the potters all have deer we know that snape has a deer with his obsession with, with lily i mentioned dumbledore has a phoenix lupins is a wolf um and then tonks is become it changes to a wolf later on so again that mm, yeah yeah um and then that, some of those that don't really make all that much sense when they go through the kids Cho Chang's has a swan. Seamus has a fox. I think Seamus and a fox actually align nicely because you kind of think of fox as tricksters of the animal world. Yeah. Um, Hermione has an otter. Luna has a hare. Ernie McMillan, everyone's favorite uh, Harry Potter character, who we always remember <laughs> exists. Which is interesting because I don't see him being like a very boorish personality or anything from what we know about him. Yeah, Ron's is a Jack Russell Terrier, which I, I see it. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, I went with like the comfort of, of my cat. And I feel like a lot of people might go with the comfort of the animal that they're kind of associated with. I think that animal that I, I think it's the I think, it, I think it's something that makes you feel safe. So whatever that is for you um, would make sense. If I could have a non-animal, it would probably either be a curling rock or like the Olympic rings or something. <laughs> the Olympic rings just flying at you. <laughs> That'd be a pretty sweet Patronus. On the opposite of not things that make you feel safe, I just want to talk about the Dementors again really quick. Yeah. That concept of the Dementors kiss really adds to like, I always thought the change of theme to be more darks happens in book four. No. It, it's here. There's. It's here now. It, it's not like, like it's not an abrupt change like I thought about it. Like there's a, there's a significance much dark. There's a more significant darker theme through this book. Um, and I don't know that I really understood how creepy the concept of the Dementor yeah. is, was until like I was older and reading it again, like 
it really makes them more creepy. Like I, I read a lot of fantasy novels and I actually can't think of very many creatures that are more scary than this because, or as creepy as this is probably a better word because they don't actually kill you. A lot of scary creatures, they're, they're scary because they can kill you, but this thing, it doesn't kill you. It just mm-hmm. sort of wipes you out of everything you are, but you continue to exist. It, it leaves you like in an existential dread, essentially. Like that's what's so you're terrifying about it. The other things where it's like, you're not even there, but you're still alive. Like you're still there. You're just in that dread all the time. Like they're terrifying. You, yeah. And you see that even in like how like Hagrid deals with loves dragons, loves all these crazy big creatures that could kill you. But it states like in, in the in last chapter, when they talk to him that he never wants to go back to, to Azkaban again. He never wants to be around the Dementors. Like it's something that is just very widely. Yeah. Considered to be, just terrible and yeah you, you make a good point earlier and it was touched on if you haven't seen it yet or whenever you do get to see it the uh the 20 year anniversary of all the harry potter movies like they they take you through one through eight and you you go on that journey and you kind of see how it starts like the first two books very much child-based kind of kiddish uh this one is like the teenage years and almost like a transition where it get you starts getting dark and then by the end of the fourth book is like that transition into adulthood almost for for Harry. So it, it, this is very much where things start changing and why I think it's one of my favorites. And obviously we'll talk about that a lot more going forward, but uh, it, it makes sense why this book is is very well loved for the tone that it takes, even though it's can be quite dark. Yeah, uh, definitely. A couple of things I didn't remember from this chapter. Uh, Wood just like loses his mind at the thought of carrying on a fireball. Uh, and just, like, just loses it. Like, yeah, loses it when he finds out he doesn't have. Like, he just he's all over the place. I didn't remember. He's. I just I forgot that he was such an eccentric and obsessive and crazy character. I just thought of him as the Quidditch captain, but like, dude has some issues. It was something that I'll put since we're going into things that don't make sense and more like an other thought but like even what would like revealing that McGonagall wasn't going to give up the broom and that he would rather have Harry die as long as he could catch <laughs> catch the sea uh the snitch on on the firebolt and then he even says that at one point that he can order that uh, Harry could order a Nimbus 2001 but then Harry says that he doesn't want anything that Malfoy thinks is good but like ultimately Malfoy would be pretty impressed with a firebolt so i i didn't get the logic in that yeah i mean i'll, I'll touch on that a bit later in a you can guess where um, <laughs> yeah i mean i had this thought on about wood while we're talking about him was he about to kick harry off the team if he didn't know how to deal with the dementors because it certainly sounded <laughs> like he was about to kick harry off the team but he doesn't he, like he could because like wood seemed to think that they were going to be a genuine issue going on in the future but at the same time, it goes back to our point of like, you don't have substitutes, you don't have subs or backups training with you. And if Harry was very much needed to be able to play with them in the first year, who has since come into the school that could replace him in Gryffindor? Like, it's not going to be Colin Creedy. No, Ginny, but that's fine. I guess that's true. But yeah, they don't know that yet. No, you're not. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. He... um 
I guess, but I guess his thought is someone who doesn't faint is better than someone who does faint. And he's, he's not wrong either. It's just, <laughs> Harry's so good. And they're like, well, that one thing that might happen, we can't have you out there. We can't, yeah. Um, the, uh, another thing that I, I hadn't quite remembered was that we are told at this point that Hermione knows something about Lupin that is important. Yes. But because they're being a dick, she won't tell them what it is. Yeah. Uh, we just sort of gloss over it. It's very quick. It's one sentence. Um, <laughs> And then we don't really revisit it till the end, I don't believe. Which is wild that she is like, isn't it obvious? And like, she says it very confidently too. It's like, can't you tell? I feel like if she knew that, that there would be a little bit more of an urgent thing to kind of get across, but. I guess she probably thinks Dumbledore knows what's up. And they obviously at, at Christmas dinner, it became quite clear that Dumbledore and Snape both know. And so I guess she figured, well, it's fine. They know. If it's fine with them and they know. Yeah. No, that's fair. Um, things that didn't make sense. And it, it's something that we'll touch on at a later chapter one, once we learn more about the time turner. But it's so obvious to anyone who can communicate with each other, which the kids are. They're talking to each other about each other. And Ron very much points it out that... Hermione is still somehow attending all of her classes, despite so many of them taking place at the same time. He mentions that he's even had students in other classes that she shouldn't have been at because she was with them at the time, confirmed that she was still in the class. Like it's, it's detectable. It's a very much a, a thing that can be tracked because students talk to each other. It. To me, yeah, this is the same thing I had. It's amazing that it took Ron this long to finally start to wonder about how she was doing. I think they had suspicions. But yeah, at this point now, it's like Ron's wondering how it's done. So he realizes something is up, but it should have probably, shouldn't have taken them half a school year or two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything else you want to talk about this chapter? No, that was about it. I could get into some quotes. Yeah, the only thing... The only other thing that that I want to just mention quickly is uh, how scandalized Hermione was at the thought of uh, Harry suggesting maybe she drops some classes. Like she needs <laughs> she needs help. Someone to say you're doing too much. Um, That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I didn't write down any quotes. I don't know why. Yeah. What do you have? It it wasn't some, was something that someone said, but more just some of the some of the book content. But Professor Trelawney was now teaching them palmistry, and she had lost no time in informing Harry that he had the shortest lifeline she had ever seen. And technically, it could be correct because Harry's going to be technically dead in four years' time. I know that you don't like her, but I feel like there is purposely some little easter eggs that are that are sprinkled in there about how she is legit she is used effectively she's just very annoying to read about <laughs> um, but i guess cedric diggory doesn't take uh, yeah maybe he doesn't take the class she never got to see his his uh his palms harry is not the first student to die in that battle either so it's it is interesting yeah, I guess that's true as well, that there would be others. Yeah. Um, but that, no, but you're not wrong. That That's, it is unique the way they use her to, but they also sprinkle in enough garbage that you don't yeah. clock everything she says. So it, Which is, yeah, no, that's true. And that's like, that's very much 
when you compare it to real people who can claim to be fortune tellers, right? Like you, you throw enough shit at the wall, something's going to stick. Yeah. So you probably know where I'm going here for LVP kind of based on what I've said previously, but I had two candidates and it's the two, two boys, right? Like you have Ron where he's more mad about the broom situation than Harry is. And so he's continuing to be a dick to Hermione about it. Like it's not ideal, Ron. And then there's Harry, who Hermione only stayed at the castle with like three other people for him, literally for him. Uh, And there is no one else for her to spend her time with. And they just ignore her. Uh, That's horrible. Like it's legitimately horrible. Um, So that's like my main Harry point. But then also uh, he decides not to buy a broom just because Malfoy thinks it's good. And you mentioned this before. Malfoy is going to think a firebolt is good. Uh, And to purposely handicap yourself because somebody else might think something's good like i don't know just get what's available it's petty for sure super petty like i guess harry does finally realize they should make it up to hermione but he only figures that out after he gets the broom back Mm -hmm. like it's not like he realized it out before he got the like so he doesn't get any credit it's almost like they even kind of knew that they should, but yet they, well, they held it over her head, which they is sure horrible. Did. They were like, they dug in and they were like, well, I don't know. So so I'm going to go Harry here. What, what are you thinking? Yeah, I had the two exact same candidates as, as you, uh, Harry and Ron. I also threw in a third. I wasn't actually considering him, but uh, Oliver Wood, because he was also pretty terrified with like the idea of the the the, um, the firebolt and saying that he didn't care. I mentioned earlier, but like he's like, oh, I didn't care if like Harry injures himself as long as he catches the snitch. Like he's so he's so one dimensional <laughs> a character. One dimensional. I think he's just hyper focused, and it's it's comedic. Uh, and I wondered <laughs> on Wood. I wonder if. He had taken a step back from the situation to contextualize everything he just said, if he would have the same opinion, but he's, he's pretty funny. So he's a decent candidate, but ultimately I don't think he's a real contender. No, that's exactly it. So like, I, I, again, I was considering Harry, Harry and Ron and Harry, in addition to the, the things that you had kind of said, like he was so naggy when it came to the broom as well with McGonagall checking with her every single class, like he, he couldn't, he had no patience in this situation, which is unlike him over this broom. And I get that he's excited, but to be nagging McGonagall after every single class. And then also he was super frustrated with like how little he had little progress he had made in these Patronus classes as well. But I don't think he actually understood like how much he achieved in those lessons and he just expected everything to come to him easily. And so when he's faced with this adversity, he's kind of, frustrated with that as well and i thought that that was a a little immature as well um ron was kind of needy as well he he needed to like ride the firebolt right away and like you said was like super more into it than even harry was but uh yeah i i I think i have to go with harry there's more there's more for him here that i just i did not like this chapter from him yeah that's fair that's definitely fair on the flip side uh we had a situation where adults were being reasonable Mm-hmm. so i like uh, maybe mcgonagall here she was being a very reasonable adult and responsible adult with her decisions around the broom i know she wants to win the quidditch match but not at the unlike oliver wood 
you know, not at the uh, not at the risk of Harry's uh, safety. So I like that he, from her. He's nearly died in both books so far. So like, yeah, we yeah. should try and avoid that. Yeah, and I mean, I guess he technically nearly died earlier when he fell off the broom. That being yeah. said, why there's no magical um, like net catching a few meters before you hit the ground would go a long way. <laughs> you know, he doesn't have to have a concussion and be knocked unconscious, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but then I also liked Lupin again. I thought he found out, I, found, I think the bar was a pretty clever solution to using a real Dementor, obviously. Um, to your point, did they even need to do that? Maybe, maybe not, but it was a clever solution nonetheless. I actually think even like finding a spell that Harry could learn in itself was pretty impressive. I don't know how many different spells there are to, to ward off Dementors. Um, it seems like a Patronus is a pretty useful spell. It comes back quite a bit in the series going forward from here. So, you know, putting that in his um, Harry's repertoire early on, also pretty good. He's also giving up an evening every single week to teach one kid one thing. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to sacrifice. I'm sure he has other stuff to do. And then I kind of thought this was sort of my key point for Lupin here is he manages not to tell Harry about things that are just going to make him more upset. They talk about Black a little bit and Lupin knows way more than he's letting on. But he doesn't slip up. He doesn't give Harry really anything that he could latch onto. He seems like he has a sense of where Harry's at and that, you know, giving him more is not going to be beneficial. Should he maybe have disclosed some of that stuff about his friendship with the... He could have. He could have. I'm sort of surprised he didn't, but well, how... that's not really going to help Harry either. And at least in this um, sense, Harry might feel like Lupin has an interest in helping him for him and not because he was friends with, with their parents. So I like Lupin. Um, <laughs> just looking at the list here. I like Lupin all the time. I feel like whenever he's a contender, he's going to be selected because I, I went that way as well um you pretty much covered it there i mean the other thing is harry did learn or at least be able to kind of comprehend a little bit of this really advanced magic and yes harry's talented at what he does but also it takes a good teacher to do that too and having some trust in 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 your 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 educator who's teaching you basically so i think that because lupin was able to do that and and take that time like you said every single week that's that's a super important and just like a super awesome thing for him to do as well it, it's so hard to not like lupin at any point in this book so well, yeah and i think he does make mistakes later on and i think it's important that we call him out for those when we get there but to this point he's he's been pretty um good the other thing i was that just sort of crossed my mind is again they were looking at like photos and and there was the wedding photo lupin's not in the wedding photos that seems odd but i'll let it go maybe it was that time of the month where he's unavailable um, <laughs> seems odd though it does yeah yeah that he wasn't there or, or recognized but uh yeah that very much could have been could have been the case for him as well that wraps us up i'd say for these two chapters a lot of fun we're we're getting further and further into this book it's really picking up and 
we'll have some more but in the meantime if you want to follow us on instagram you can do that at harry potter reread podcast you can also email us harry potter reread podcast at gmail.com yeah we'll be back next week two more chapters uh looks like we got another uh quidditch chapter coming up gryffindor versus ravenclaw and then chapter 14 snape's grudge so we'll dig into those uh we're available where you get your podcasts i'm david that was kyle bye